No, I didn't. I um, I didn't sleep that well last night. I didn't sleep that well last night because sometimes I reckon the job of the person at Fat who's doing the topical talks at night. I mean, serious. <laughs> Hang on. There we go. Yeah, the job of the person who's doing topical talks at Fat is a hard one because. Unlike Hazy and Rhett in the mornings, my job is to speak on a topic and so what I need to do is uh, dig around in the Bible and find uh, the best places in the Bible that are going to help us think about that topic, which is a different job to when you get a book of the Bible and just ask the question, what's this book say? Let's find out what the Bible's saying and we'll understand it. Uh, I love that kind of preaching. I love the kind of stuff we've been doing with Hebrews and I find this kind of stuff hard particularly because you have to go around, you need to work out how do you tackle this topic, how do you make a talk about this, what passage do you speak from and all those kind of things. And um, I was reflecting last night that right up to leading up to my talk last night, I was never happy with the passage that I was speaking on. And I said at the start of my talk, here's Genesis 29, here's the main point of Genesis 29. It's about the nation of Israel coming about. But there's some other stuff going on in this passage and that's what we're going to focus on tonight. And so that's what we did uh, and that was okay. And I don't think I said anything that wasn't true last night, but the thing I wasn't happy about last night was that I didn't feel like I did that passage of the Bible justice, which is what my main job as a preacher is. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I guess what I wanted to just kind of point out to you guys and and caution you about and warn you about is that um, as, as a preacher... No one is perfect and no one always says the truth and understands everything there is to understand and always gets everything right. And I'm still wrestling with, particularly from that passage last night, I reckon, I reckon it's clear that Jacob and Leah are, are, are people who are head over heels, crazy, uh, living their lives for, for love and for sex. That's kind of the thing that was dominating their lives in that passage. The thing that's kind of only just gently kind of inferred from the passage is that they're doing that instead of following God, but the passage isn't 100% clear about that. And so I guess I wanted to acknowledge that, especially some of you guys are thinking about that kind of stuff, and and point that out. And um, yeah, just to let you guys know about that. And so think carefully about the things you hear when they're preached, even if it's from me, even if it's from Jace or Hazy or whoever, because we're not perfect. There's things that we don't understand. Uh, there's things that we don't get right. So you need to listen carefully to us, test what we're saying against the Bible, and test what anyone who teaches you says against the Bible. And while I'm on that, I should say that I reckon one of the things that I was wrestling with as I was preparing that talk was that I was, I've used that book, Counterfeit Idols, a bit in my preparation for this talk series. And I reckon some of the ways the Bible's handled in that book isn't 100% right either. So um, if you buy that book, read it discerningly as well. Does that make sense? You guys understand what I'm saying? If you don't understand 100%, you can talk to me more later on. Anyway, wanted to share that with you guys and give you that warning. Um, Well, Jace has already prayed, but man, I'd like to pray again because this is a hard task. Let's pray. Father, I pray that tonight I'd speak the truth. I pray that tonight uh, people would understand your word. Uh, Lord, help us as a group not to be a group who follows and listens and follows the rules of a preacher or a personality or anything like that, but rather, Lord, that would be people who follow your word. 
Lord, please help us to keep us from a spirit of criticalness that questions authority left, right and centre and never takes anything and never trusts anyone. But Lord, at the same time, Lord, help us to be discerning and to sit under your word and your word only. And we pray that that's what would happen tonight. Amen. All right, well, what are you guys most scared of? What are you most scared of? For me, it's sharks. That's what I'm most scared of, I think. didn't used to be, but it's this weird thing that's just happened for me. There's something really helpless about being out in the water and knowing that there's like maybe a shark trying to get you. That feeling just kind of freaks me out. Dark, deep water is just yuck to me these days. Who else has sharks as their biggest fear? Come on, own up. Yeah, okay, there's a few of his. That's good. Now, that's interesting because (laughs) reality is that Sharks are pretty far down the list of things that realistically we should actually be afraid of. Do you know that you're more likely to die by being killed by a dog than you are by a shark? You're more likely to die by being bitten by a snake? You're more likely to die, at least in America, by driving into a deer, or maybe it's a kangaroo in Australia, you're more likely to have a collision in your car and get killed by an animal that you run over than you are to be killed by a shark you're 30 times more likely to be killed by a lightning bolt than a shark. How's that? 30 times more likely. Who runs around outside going, lightning? You, just, you, know, you don't do that. Um, here's my favourite one though. You're twice as likely to get crushed by a vending machine that you pull onto yourself than you are to be being killed by a shark attack. How's that? You get vending machine death twice as likely. The top three causes of death in Australia are actually car crashes, number one, number two, poisoning, and number three, cancer for young people your age. That's the top three death-causing things in Australia. See, who had those things as their biggest fear? Not many of you. Not many of you would have thought that was the scariest thing in the world. And so here's my point. Sometimes the things that we're worried about the most, the things that are most obvious and scary, like sharks or whatever are not really the biggest danger. See, whether you're worried about sharks or murderers, who has murderers? Who's most scared of murderers? Yeah, there's a few of you, okay. So whether it's sharks or murderers or whatever, what we really should be worried about in life is the mundane, boring stuff, like what we put in our mouths and whether we live near power poles, if that causes cancer, or uh, driving on the road. They're the dangerous things that we do. And it's the same with idolatry. It's the same with idolatry. See, idols are either things that are sin, that we choose instead of God, or idols are things that are good things, like love and sex, that we treat as God. And so I reckon if I asked you guys tonight, what's your biggest danger with idolatry? You'd be saying things like, uh, you know, maybe love, maybe sex, maybe a sport or a hobby that you love heaps, or a job or school or something like that, or getting drunk. Those would be the things that you'd be concerned could be your idols, the big obvious things that loom in your life. But I reckon hardly anyone here would say that greed is their biggest problem or their biggest idol. But you know what? Although hardly any of us would be worried about it, greed is something that Jesus preached about, greed and the love of money. Jesus preached about that particular thing more than any other type of sin. (laughs) And the problem with greed is that 
no one thinks that they're actually rich and so no one actually thinks that they're being greedy because what we do is we compare ourselves to everyone around us and we look at everyone else in our community and we go, no, I'm doing okay. And the other thing that's hard with greed is that money itself isn't sinful. Money's not bad, it's not sinful, but greed is. And so it's a bit grey. Like if swearing, I know that I'm swearing, I know when I'm having sex outside of marriage, but greed, well, it, it really is like... Am I being greedy or is this just me buying groceries? What's going on? See, what's the normal use of money? See, the problem in Australia is that, man, so many Australians are greedy. Almost all Australians are greedy. So when we look around, greed just seems normal. So what? how do you tell when you're being greedy? You guys will go to school with people who will also be pretty rich like you. And so the way the people at school use their money will probably be pretty similar to the way you use your money. And you'll just tell yourself, well, that's just normal. That's just what everyone does. And you look at other people in Australia and you'll go, this is just how Australians live. This is just normal that I have all these things and all this money and I spend it all on myself like that. That's just, that's just being an Australian. <laughs> but the problem is compared to most of the world, man, we are so rich... And often we're greedy. And so greed is this heaps sneaky, less obvious idol that lurks around in our lives. And so tonight my prayer for us is that we're going to see greed clearly, learn to spot it in our own lives because it's so subtle and hard to see, and then that we'll be rescued and replace greed in our lives. Now, just like yesterday, I want us to get an insight into this idol by taking a close look at a character from the Bible. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at a guy called Zacchaeus. And he kind of seems like a pretty extreme end-of-the-scale kind of case of greed. He seems like a pretty extreme example of greed. And so don't think just because you're not like this guy Zacchaeus, then you're not greedy. No, that's not the point. You're looking at a kind of the the end-of-the-line picture of what greed looks like. But it can be more subtle than that. And so here's the first thing I want you guys to note from, um, from the passage that was read out. Zacchaeus worshipped money. I wonder if you spotted it in the passage. Look at chapter 19. Jesus, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through and a man uh, was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were hated by everyone back then. Basically, what had happened was the, the, Roman, the Roman army had taken over most of the world and the Romans wanted to get money from the places they took over and so they set up these guys called tax collectors and they said, it's your job to kind of tax people, get their money, you get it to us and if you reach a certain amount of money, you can have some money yourself, you can keep it for yourself. And so they went around with the backing of Roman soldiers and they just took people's money off them and they gave it to the the bad guys and they kept some for themselves. It'd be like if Indonesia took over Australia and then I was like, you know what, Indonesia, I got your back, I'll work for you. And I started going around to all you guys, except you were doing it pretty hard, you didn't have much money, and I started taking all your money, giving huge chunks of it to Indonesia, but even taking so much that I had enough to give to Indonesia and keep some for myself so that I was doing pretty good and I was wealthy. 
People hated the tax collectors. And these people hate Zacchaeus. Check out verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone, sorry, Jesus has just said, I'm going to go home with you, Zacchaeus. And then, and then and all the people begin to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. They call him a sinner because he's a tax collector. That's how his own people saw him. They hate him. And notice that he's not some low-level, just everyday tax collector type guy. He was the chief tax collector. So if tax collectors were bad, greedy guys who were keeping all the money for themselves, the chief tax collector, man, he's like at the top of the pile in terms of being a dodgy guy who's raking in the money at the expense of everyone else. So Zacchaeus, they're judging him right there in verse 7. Zacchaeus wouldn't have been able to go anywhere without all his own people looking at him just going, there's Zacchaeus, stinky Zacchaeus, the guy who's taking all the money. That guy's a jerk. I hate him so much. Now think about this. Why would anyone ever take a job like that? That job would suck. Imagine going everywhere and everyone hates you and calls you Zacchaeus, the sinner, and... Like, why would you do a job where you have to betray your own country and take money from them and give it away to these other bad guys, making already poor people even poorer? Why would you do a job like that? The answer is greed. That's what would drive a person to do a job like that. And so, what Zacchaeus is willing to do for money shows you where his heart is at. He's serving money, he's worshipping money and it's ruling him and so it it informs all of his decisions and so it makes him the person that he is. How did Zacchaeus get to that point of doing that job and being that guy? Do you reckon he just woke up one morning and went, you know what, I'm going to be the chief tax collector, the guy that everyone hates, I'm going to rob all my my, my people, I'm going to betray them and I'm going to do everything I can no matter whether it's bad or good for the sake of money. Do you reckon he just woke up one day and said, that's how I'm going to be? I don't reckon he did. No, we don't know for sure, but I reckon money's seduced him. He's made small decisions. I'll start this job, maybe I'll be a tax collector. Why not be the chief tax collector? And small decision after decision has eventually made him the person he is. But it would have all started when Zacchaeus made a choice to serve money instead of God. Because flick over a couple of chapters earlier, look at what Jesus says about money and God. It's subtle in these verses, but it's really obvious right here. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's the point. You can only serve one master. You can only have one God. And here Jesus is saying you, can, you can't serve God and money. Only one of them can be in charge. That's a very important point to get under your belt. We can't go through life with many bosses and many people in charge. So how do you guys normally think about money? Imagine I said, here's a million bucks. What do you want to do with a million bucks? How good is that? I reckon most people would say a million dollars, that's the best. That's like 
pure liquid freedom. With a million dollars, I could make it do anything I wanted for me. Everything would just be kind of open to me. With a million dollars, I could do anything. My money would just serve me so much. But what did Jesus say? When money is our master, we serve it. Greed becomes our master. Now Zacchaeus is a pretty extreme example of that as the chief tax collector, the guy that everyone calls a sinner. But we're not that far from that place. All it takes for us to head down a similar road as Zacchaeus is to make small compromises with money and with God. And, very, and suddenly we've drifted so far. We're not going to wake up one day. You, you, you won't do this. You're not going to get up tomorrow and go, you know what? I think I want to serve money. That sounds good. All the TV shows and movies I've seen seem to encourage me that money is a good thing to serve. No one thinks like that. Instead, we make small little decisions, a little more indulgence, a little more spending, a little more things for me, a little bit of compromise on these other things for a little bit more until we're greedy. Our whole life is rotted through with greed and greed becomes our master. That's how it happens. And so, is greed your God? We're going to move into this passage in a second, but before we do, is greed your God? Here are some examples of ways to work out whether greed might be your God. Number one, are you content with what you already have? Once you get something... How long before that thing makes you not happy anymore and you want more and so you've got to keep on getting more and you're not satisfied with what you have no matter what you get? Are you content? Because if you're not, it could be a sign of greed. Number two, how much do you think about your possessions and material things? How much do you think about those things? Do you spend all day long just dreaming about stuff, about money and, I don't know, new iPhone, new computer... Uh, new car, new music, new clothes. Because if that's what dominates your mind, <laughs> could be that greed is your idol. If God, number three, if God asked you to give away all your stuff or any of your stuff, is there anything that you wouldn't be willing to give up if, if you knew that you should because God told you to? If there's anything that, yeah, I could never give that up even if I knew I should, well, that could be greed. What do you spend your money on? Number four, how much of your money do you spend on yourself? Some of it? <laughs> Most of it? All of it? <laughs> See, if the only thing we spend our money on is us, then who are we serving with our money? We're, we're being selfish, we're serving ourselves, which is really what's at the heart of greed. Serving yourself with money. Do you steal because you want stuff but you can't afford it? Now that could be shoplifting or it could be just downloading things that you didn't pay for because you want them heaps bad but you can't afford to buy them. If that's you, now stealing is a problem in and of itself but it may expose a bigger problem of greed. And last one, does your job always win over God? Would you be willing to take extra shifts on a Friday night 
even though you knew that it would mean you would miss Bible study or youth group or something like that. If you're willing to always compromise on your Christian commitments for the sake of your job, I bet it's not because you're like super passionate about McDonald's and you're just like, I love McDonald's, I want to serve McDonald's with my life in my job. No, people make those decisions for money. That's why they do it. And so if earning money matters more to you than your commitments to God, it could be greed as well. And there's just a bunch of tests, just some little insights into your life. But there's one long-term application I want to make on this, and then we're going to plow into a whole bunch of Bible passages, all right? So one more long-term application. Make long-term decisions that will serve God, not greed. <clears throat> See, when you finish the HSC, will you choose a job that will make you rich, even though it means you will not be able to serve God best in that job? See, it's not wrong to choose one job over another, provided you're not like, I don't know, a professional thief or, you know, something. There's all sorts of jobs that could be bad, I guess. But most jobs aren't wrong jobs, but it depends on why you choose your job. Here's, why most, here's how most people in the world will choose their job. Honestly, this is what they'll do. They'll go, how much money will this job make me? Number one. Number two, what am I interested in doing? Because I want to be happy in my job. And number three, what job will make other people think I'm heaps cool? That's how most of the world chooses what job they're going to do. Seriously. There's another option. What kind of job would give me the most chance to share Jesus with people? What kind of job would mean that I'm not so busy that I can't serve God in church and in ministry? What kind of job am I interested in so that I can serve God in a job that I enjoy? There's a whole different set of questions there. Now, if the first set of questions is you, then what's driving you? It's greed. But if, if your God is Jesus, why not use that second set of questions? Hey guys, seriously, just a little rant. 95% of us here will probably say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But when it comes to the big decisions, it's actually going to shape huge chunks of our lives into the future about what kind of job we might do. And so often we just completely disregard God in this and just go by the world's standards. So make decisions based around the gospel as you do that. Greed's a powerful idol, and if we're not careful, it will run our lives. And I think that's the context of this Zacchaeus guy as we enter this passage. But things change very quickly for Zacchaeus in this story. Let's dig into it again. First thing, second thing to notice, Zacchaeus gets rescued from his greed. Zacchaeus actually reaches out to Jesus and Jesus reaches out to Zacchaeus and it's amazing. Look how, first of all, look how Zacchaeus reaches out to Jesus in verse 3. Check out verse 3. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. And so what you've got here is we've got this guy who wants to see who Jesus was was. It doesn't say that he wants to go and see Jesus like a show. No, he's investigating who is Jesus. But because he's so short, no one will let him near Jesus to get close. 
It's probably because they hate him so much. He's this little short guy. It's like a year seven or in one of the games, you know, kind of keeping him back and you can't really see what's going on. Not that we hate him, but you know. I reckon if I was Zacchaeus at that point, you'd be feeling pretty self-conscious, like you're this short little man, everyone hates you because you're the chief tax collector and everyone thinks you're a greedy sinner and, and they won't let you near. I reckon at that point you'd be like, man, I'm giving up, I'm going home, these people don't want me here. Look at what Zacchaeus does, no one lets him near. So he ran ahead, verse 4, and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming his way. This grown man, who everyone hates in front of this crowd of people, he climbs a tree just to get close to Jesus to see who he is. So Zacchaeus is reaching out to Jesus. Who is this guy? He wants to know. But then the craziest thing happens. Check out the next few verses. Jesus actually reaches out to Zacchaeus. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. (laughs) See, out of all the good, reputable people that Jesus could have singled out and said, I want to hang out with you, Jesus says, You, the sinner, Zacchaeus, (laughs) I want to hang out with you tonight. I want to go to your house. The bad guy, the tax collector, the sinner. I want to come home with you. Now, I don't know if Zacchaeus understands everything about grace and everything about Jesus at this point, but something happens for Zacchaeus here. Something changes in him. He gets the beginnings of it and it rocks his world, rocks his world in verses 8 to 10. Everything changes. And in verse 9, Jesus even says, Zacchaeus, today you're saved. We'll show you that in a second. See, in undeserved grace, by the simple act of saying, Zacchaeus, I want to be with you, Jesus is reaching out to Zacchaeus and he's beginning to be rescued from his idol. Now, the full expression of that rescue from this idol doesn't come until Jesus actually dies on the cross. That's when Jesus completely rescues sinners. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Keep something in Luke because we're coming back to it. If you're in Revelation like me, you've gone too far. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. So Zacchaeus has begin to, begun to understand something about grace and Jesus. Jesus would come near this sinner. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 though. For you know that the grace... For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. This is our rescue, this is our rescue from greed, and this is our rescue from any idol. Just like we talked about in Hebrews this morning, I don't know if you guys caught this, but this is the most, most amazing thing that was said this morning in Hebrews, Right? Jesus, who is fully God, came into our world. What if God was one of us? He, he became one of us. He came on into our world in the body of a man. And not only did he give up his place in heaven and, and the fullness of being God, not that he became not God, but he, he steps out of being God in all his glory into being God in the body of a man. And he comes into our world and he dies for us. And the result, according to this passage, is that we're made rich we're made spiritually rich 
through Jesus' death. That's huge. Our rescue is all about Jesus, this rich man, this God-man becoming a regular man to make us spiritually rich. Grace is what rescues us from the idol of greed, just like any other idol. Here's our rescue. But not only that, we need to replace our greed with Jesus. Not only do we need to be rescued from our greed, we need to replace our greed with Jesus. And then that grace of Jesus will transform you to be generous as well. And so we end up replacing greed with generosity. So look at what happens for Zacchaeus. Come back into Luke chapter 19 again. Look at what happens for him. He gets something of Jesus' grace and it just smashes his life. Because look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And then Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save what was lost. See, after being rescued, man, Zacchaeus just takes crazy mind-blowing action. Like, can you imagine what it would be like to be wealthy, rich like he is, and make that promise that he's just made? It's huge. In the Old Testament, right, in the Old Testament, God's Lord's command was that people were to give 10% of their money away. 10%, which is a lot when you're pretty rich. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give away 50% of my money to the poor. And, and not only that, he makes this promise about if he's stolen from anyone. In Numbers chapter 5, verse 7, once again in the Old Testament, the Old Testament command was that if people had stolen from someone in some way, they were to return what they'd stolen, repent, turn back to God, but return what they'd stolen and pay back what they'd stolen plus 10%. You stole a dollar ten, you give them a sorry, you stole a dollar, you give them a dollar ten. Zacchaeus promises to give back four times the amount that he's stolen from anyone. That's four hundred percent interest. That's huge. Like imagine you're at school, right, and there's like a classic school bully wearing like a jock kind of thing or whatever and he like walks up to you does all this horrible stuff wedges you six times breaks six pairs of your undies or whatever if you're a year nine boy and then and and he's like this terrible bully takes ten dollars of your money and wanders off with it like this bad dude but then imagine if that guy the next day came back and went look i'm so sorry for what i've done here's your money back plus here's 40 extra dollars here's 400 percent interest for what i did to you that would just That would flip you out, wouldn't it? Imagine a bully doing that, not because his mum got him in trouble and he's like trying to bribe you or something, you know, like he genuinely wants to be that generous to you after what he's done. That's an incredible change. And so here's the point. Zacchaeus has been absolutely smashed by this grace that Jesus has shown him. He didn't deserve it. He was a sinner, but Jesus has reached out to him and it's been his rescue from this idol. And so now he's replaced this idol of greed with generosity. And notice that he's not trying to do this to earn his way to heaven. This isn't about law-keeping. If it was, he would give back 
you know, 10% interest and you give away 10% of his... No, no, he's just going well beyond what's called for in the Old Testament law. This is just crazy, mind-blowing generosity because he's been transformed by grace. He's not trying to change to earn his way back into God's good books. No, no, he's been shown grace and then he just goes crazy with generosity. It's nuts. He's transformed by Jesus' grace and he replaces the idol of greed with generosity. Now, I've got a couple of applications for us from this passage and then we're done, all right? Um, If greed is an idol of yours, practice active repentance from greed, all right? Practice active repentance. It actually changes the way you've been living, just like Zacchaeus did. See, when we're greedy in our lives, I reckon it's one of those things that we might spot, someone might kind of nudge and point out and you go, yeah, I guess that is a thing. But, uh, and you kind of just, you don't want to actually really do anything about it. We're too soft when it comes to real repentance and greed. I remember when I was in like year 10, I had a bunch of pirate, like so many pirated CDs that I was listening to all the time. I didn't have an iPod, it was CDs. Um, and someone pointed out that I was breaking the law and I was being greedy by stealing from people. And I was soft with it. I was so half-hearted in my repentance. I was like, yeah, I guess you're kind of right, maybe. But I didn't want them to be right. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll stop burning CDs and I'll just keep the ones I've got. How's that? That's not that's kind of repentant, isn't it? But really, I was just playing games with this idol. I didn't want to change. I didn't want to really actually take action about my greed. I knew it was wrong, but I was mucking around with it. And so will you make the decision, if you notice that this is an idol in your life, will you make the decision to be rescued and replace this idol? Give up what you've been stealing. If you've been stealing, make concrete changes if you haven't been generous. Which leads to the second thing, replace greed with active generosity okay it's not dealing with greed isn't about just sitting there going i like money not much i don't like money no no replace it with generosity generosity is like a lethal injection for greed (laughs) if you're generous it's very hard to be greedy at the same time so give away generously here's a few tips on how you guys can think about generous giving is an important one. Number one, this is all under a sub-point of application, right? But number one, spend less money on yourself. To be generous with money, you actually need some money to be generous with. And so if you spend all your money straight away on yourself, then you've got nothing to be generous with. If a greedy person has $5, what will a greedy person spend on themselves? They'll spend $5 on themselves and they're greedy even though they've only got 5 bucks. That's not much money. If a greedy person has $100, they'll spend $100 on themselves. If a greedy person has $1,000, they'll spend $1,000 on on themselves. So rather than let how much money you have literally be the thing that dictates how much money you spend, you know like little kids in the canteen line where they're like, I have $4, what can I buy for $4? Why not walk up and go, what do I need? I will have a juice. Now I have some money left over. Now you don't need to, you're not little kids, but don't let how much money you have dictate how much you spend because if you, if you can break that connection, you'll have money to be generous with. Secondly, once you've got some money, be spontaneously generous with it. When you see people around you who are in need, 
Be generous, whether it's a friend or even just a random stranger who's in need. Surprise them with a transformed life of grace-given, transformed generosity. Thirdly, though, be generous to the gospel and don't just do this spontaneously, all right? Plan carefully how much you need to give and give it sacrificially. This is all the stuff we talked about last uh, last year in 2 Corinthians at Youth Group. Now, we talked a whole bunch about giving last year in 2 Corinthians and I reckon there was a while there where you guys were like, yeah, I should be disciplined in, in the way I use my money and I should be generous with my money. And I reckon we saw you guys get pretty keen to, to give money to the gospel um, at Eva Youth for a while there, but uh, lately it kind of seems like for whatever reason the wind's kind of gone out of that and, and a lot of you aren't necessarily paying attention to what you're doing with your money and how you're using it. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to get as much money out of you as I possibly can for the sake of Eva Youth. Your, like, your money is needed for the sake of the gospel, but I genuinely am most concerned that you guys develop good, long-term habits of generosity with your money. So make a plan and stick with that plan because you'll actually make a difference with your money. You'll do something significant, you'll give significantly, you'll sacrifice and it'll be like a lethal injection of greed in your life. I hope that sentence makes sense, right? Last thing, give to people who are physically in need as well. Find a way to give generously to some people who are in need, just like Zacchaeus did. Jesus calls us as Christians to look after the poor. He says, love our neighbor with the actual stuff that we have. And so, I don't know, there's heaps of different ways you can do this, but give to a sponsor child overseas. Maybe your 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 family together could give to a sponsor child. Maybe you could get one with your family and say, mom, dad, I don't have 40 bucks a month, but I do have 10 bucks a month, so can we get a sponsor child together? Um, find something that you can do where you can be giving generously and regularly to people who are in need. Generosity is a bit like exercise. It's always good for us, but it's hard to get going in. And so you just got to start and get into it and you'll get a taste for it and you'll grow in your generosity. But if you don't, if you leave greed in your life, ignore generosity, greed will grow carefully, sorry, sneakily and and not obviously, it'll kind of wiggle its way into your life. Remember I said at the very start, (laughs) sometimes the normal boring things in life are actually the most dangerous things and this really is the case with greed. Seriously is the case. We're worried about sharks and murderers, we should be worried about driving cars and you guys should seriously be worried about greed Because if you're not careful, you'll turn around and one day you will have made a million small compromises and you'll be living a greedy life. So remember your rescue from Jesus. Remember his generosity at the cross. Be transformed by that to be generous and serve the true and living God with your money. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we want to praise you for Jesus' generosity to us. Lord, (laughs) the fact that Jesus would step into our world as a man and die for us sinners, Lord, is just staggering. 
So, Lord, we pray that we'd be so impacted by the gospel and the grace of Jesus, Lord, that we would let go of the idol of greed and and give generously with our money and, in fact, with our whole lives. Please protect us from the deceptiveness of greed. Lord, I pray for these, these young guys and I pray for myself that as we grow up, we would be able to spot greed in our lives. Give us wisdom with how we use our money. Help us to worship you with our money rather than worship money. Amen.